Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, and we will be looking at the readings for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, and you can listen to those readings on our reading podcast that was dropped just yesterday. Today, we're going to look specifically at the gospel lesson, which comes to us from St. Mark, the sixth chapter. And again, like last week, it is two events that are kind of stuck together. And they go hand in hand, but it almost seems that they're they're separate. They're, they're two different emphasis taking place. And St. Mark just scrunched them together to convey information. Because he's very factual. It's, right. This happened, this went, and I'm moving on. And I've got some ideas about how these two events might connect that maybe we'll get into a little bit later. Because I think maybe they do play hand-in-hand hand and act as antithesis to each other. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And then the last part of this section, which is uh, verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the village teaching because he was unable to do mighty works. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. So Jesus is back in his hometown of Nazareth. And this wasn't where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt for a couple years. But Nazareth is where his family kind of settled and where he He grew up. up. And then these people saw him grow up. And now he comes back. He's like 30. And he goes to the synagogue and he starts teaching. And I think one of the other gospels records that when he went back to Nazareth, he was teaching and he started a reading from Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah. Which is this huge, huge statement to say like this prophecy from hundreds of years ago, today it's fulfilled. I don't know how to tell you but I'm kind of a big thing. <laughs> I mean, he really right, kind of drops right. this big bomb, and he does a cool, calm. He doesn't, you know, there's no fanfare, but that's a big, big statement. And in a lot of other places, statements like that receive mixed reactions mm-hmm. with some people believing, getting excited, and following him, and a couple other people kind of pushing back, rejecting And we see that kind of throughout Jesus's ministry, but here we're really only told about rejection. This is not met well. Right. Before recording, we we were talking, and I liked a statement that you said, that by and large, we have an issue dealing with Jesus' humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Divinity, absolutely. He does miracles, he walks on water, he creates everything, he dies and rises. Of course, those are God things. But we struggle with he hungered. He thirsted. What did he know? What did he not right. know? Right. When we were discussing this the past few weeks on the right. podcast, yeah. we've been struggling with his humanity. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because these people full heartedly have no concept and are wrestling with who'd you say you were? I know you. You're, you're Joseph's boy. Yeah. And, and now you come and you're high and mighty teaching with authority. 
Where, where did where did you get this stuff from? Who do you think you are? Now, with this, I don't think that they're evil and snide and no. they want to push him down, but they intimately know him as the kid down the street next door, however you want to say it. They 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 only see the flesh. They only see the man Jesus. Well, who was it? Dr. Sanchez? Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about John 3, mm-hmm. talked about how the flesh is an obstacle. Yeah. And I think the flesh is really an obstacle for them because they've seen Jesus playing with their kids. They've seen him, you know, tossing the ball around. They've seen him learning from his father, going to Jerusalem. They've seen him grow up. And anyone who ever comes back to their hometown or never leaves their hometown knows that people have a really hard time changing their image of you as you grow older. Right. That's a problem that anyone struggles right. with. Oh, absolutely. And with Jesus, I think it's very much compounded because at least as far as we know, when he was a kid, he wasn't going around saying like, hi, you know, I'm Jesus. I'm new in town. I'm the son of God. I'm God I'm going to die and <laughs> I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Uh, nice to meet you. Can Johnny come out and play? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, as far as we know, that's right. not that's not what he was doing. And from this reaction, I feel like that's a pretty safe assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you look, say, at John 2 with Jesus at the wedding of Cana, he, he kind of kept his mission under wraps. In fact, I think it was just last time here in Mark where Jesus asked them not to tell right. anyone. When he was going about and teaching and doing miracles, he still said, don't tell anyone. Yeah. So I, I don't think he was high profile as a kid. And they are having a really hard time changing their image of him now that he is going about his public ministry. Now that he is saying things like, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled here. They're really, really struggling with that. And, and I... Don't entirely blame them. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it, think about all the things that we think we know and understand. Mm-hmm. The moment I think I understand whatever it is, I stop listening. I stop right. learning. Uh, one of the reasons I think this is interesting, um, when you're typing, mm-hmm. you only type so fast because you get comfortable with how fast and you stop learning. And so, why, you know, I mean, how many sermons do you type out? <laughs> why don't you get faster typing? Yeah. Because you're fine with that. You stop learning. Once you think you know something, you stop learning. And so these people hear and see Jesus, they already know him. They have everything that they think that they should know about him. Well, they've made up their mind. Exactly. And so he comes back and the, the, the text says unbelief. And I think that's interesting because what they believe or what they know is contrary to what he's offering. Right. And I think that's a really big deal. And the text is kind of awkward in the simple sense. Uh, this is verse 5. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. Yeah. And, and they're the ones that brought up these mighty works earlier, right. I think, in verse like 3, where they were like saying, what are you doing going out and doing yeah. all these mighty works? Whose authority? Whose authority are you doing this on? Right. And yeah, this is an interesting statement. And I think we have to be careful with this. Right. Once again, remembering we struggle with Jesus's humanity, not his divinity, but these people are struggling with his divinity, not his humanity. And so from our perspective, as people who struggle with his humanity, we hear, and he could do no miracles. And we say, what? Right. I thought, he's God. He could do anything. He's all powerful, yeah. Um, 
and yet he doesn't do any miracles here. And so how should we maybe hear this from their perspective instead of just looking at it from ours? So from their perspective, uh, the thing that I, I see in here is that he did not do miracles in their presence. Mm-hmm. Not that he couldn't. And I'm always careful right. to say what God can and can't do. But what good would miracles do? Yeah, I'm going to make the big assumption that Jesus is teaching. He doesn't show up and say, hey, you want to see a trick? Yeah. Um, he's preaching. He, he always preaches. He always teaches. But the miracles back up what he has said. And his miracles are connected to right. his message. Yeah. At the very least, yeah. the miracles all show what type of kingdom he's trying to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to bring healing to humanity. He's here to raise people from the dead. He's here to uh, create a reality in which we do not hunger and thirst. And so these are the miracles that he does. They point towards what he's here to do. And so if these people reject what he's here to do, what good is any miracle going to do? Yeah. And I'd like to bring about something that I wrestle in this, and it's your statement. Mm -hmm. Um, They have unbelief, but it's not um, a rejection of God. Yeah. Uh, Jesus shows up, and I know he doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm God, surprise. No, definitely not. And then they say, no, you're not. It's not like that. But he comes preaching this authority in authority, and he's preaching something that's contrary to everything that they've been taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, very law-based, very do this, don't do that. And he brings the gospel. And the question is, who are you to bring this? Right, because you can't just come in and say this. Right. And I don't think he did. Right. But he did. <laughs> and he did it nicely, but they know him. And again, the obstacle of the flesh. You're Joseph's kid, and you're going to tell me this? Right, and they know his whole—I I think the reason that they cite his mother and brothers and sisters, too, is to say, we know your family. We know your story. We know who you are and who you're connected to. How can you possibly come in and say this? Who who gave you this authority? And, and we know the answer right? because we're on this side of the story. We know that— the authority is from God the Father who sent him. Right. Um, and because he himself is God. But from their perspective, I mean, this is the kid whose diapers they changed. I mean, probably not literally right. because, you know, he didn't show up in Nazareth till he was like two or three, but, you know, you get the point. Yeah, I, I think from their perspective, they don't get it because they can't see past human man Jesus. Yeah. And... I, I, I'm curious, and the scripture doesn't um, reveal this, how much they argued with him? Mm-hmm. Or was it, okay, you, th- those are some mighty big claims. Let's just move on. Let's mm-hmm. just, wh- whatever. You say what you, you know, do they write them off as crazy? Do they write them off as, um, you know, delusions of grandeur? Because um, even in the text, I think they're hostile to him, but not in a mean way, but just, Dismissive. I right, think that, right. That'd be a good way yeah, to say it. Yeah, dismissive is probably right. And they're at least offended by what he's saying. And, as uh, that. Yeah. Well, and, and we said before, this is not something we struggle with, but it doesn't mean that this isn't a struggle in the modern day. Right. A lot of people will acknowledge the existence of Jesus 
as a person. Oh yeah, as a historical a person, great moral teacher led you know all these great things. You know, there there used to be kind of this push of like maybe he didn't exist, and now pretty much everybody, atheists, Muslims, you know, wherever whatever your perspective here is, acknowledge that he exists in some way, shape, or form. Jesus really was a person in the first century A.D. Mm-hmm. A person. Yep. And I think the the problem with this is. They want to have Jesus. They want to have a fully human Jesus, but they struggle with this divine Jesus. And I think the problem is, if you take the Gospels, which are the main biographies that we have on this person, whoever he may be, and you strip away the divine, what are you left with? Left with a guy that ran around teaching. Well, and the 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 problem is. Well, even his teaching. Even his based, teaching. Yeah. Even his teaching doesn't really stand if he's not the son of God. Right. Because he claims to be God. Right. And then proves it. Yeah. Like it, so much of what he does is miracles, which you have to dismiss if you're um, just going to say he's just a normal person. I mean, for example, Islam would say he's a prophet, so they wouldn't have as much of a problem with that. But let's, right. you know, let's play more in. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, like a Thomas Jefferson view. He's a deist. Um, So so even within that, you got to dismiss all the miracles. And I've heard some really interesting theories on that. Like, for example, the loaves and the fish. And the theory is like, well, he was by this cave and he's just kind of lifting the the loaves. And and it's like, why? Why would he do this? Why would he be purposely deceptive then? Um, And and like I said, if you look at his teachings, like look at him walking into the city and saying, this prophecy is fulfilled. You can't just say that. Right. And, and if you if you rob him of, of his divinity, you pretty much lose everything because anything he says only has credibility because he is the son of God. Well, along those lines, I mean, that's exactly what these people are saying. Uh-huh. Um, who's authority? Right. And I, I appreciate this question because they are asking for the higher authority. Who sent you? Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I don't know how Jesus answers. I'm going to assume... God, my father, God, your father. That's typically what he'll say. Right. And they don't receive it. No. And I, I think that's interesting because, again, it's, okay, That that's that's a mighty big statement to make there, Jesus. I, again, I remember you years ago, you know, so on and so forth. Right. And, again, he's a great person. I don't know if you can make these claims on your personhood or just being a person. Well, and the way he normally backs that up, is by doing miracles. Right. But not here. Well, he does a few. And um, again, before we were recording, I think that he did them and he was harassed. You think so? I do. And not that um, not that this crowd is following him and mocking him and everything. He, but why are you doing this? Do you really think you healed that person? Do you think you did that? Um, and he's offensive to them because he's not one of them anymore. He's not just a little lowly guy. That's a good guy. point. And he's, showed- he's not a Nazarite anymore. Right. Uh, because he's been rejected by his own community, mm-hmm. which is actually ironically something that was prophesied, yeah. but I digress. But yeah, like his his own community has now rejected them. He is not one of the group anymore. And that's a lonely road that he walks now. But, you know, this is a microcosm to his whole mission. Yes. He comes to his own and his own do not receive him. Mm-hmm. He dies at the hands, the physical hands of Rome, because at Israel the cries of Israel, right? Yeah, and so I mean, this is just 
proof that this is what he's coming to do mm-hmm. again and again and again. And even if we were to make the application to us today, how many times do we reject him and our sins and our, our belief, unbelief, you know, so on and so forth? Who is Jesus to tell me what to do? Yeah. And it's hard because when we take stock of everything that he has given to us, how quickly we do the same thing these people do, that can't really be. He doesn't really mean that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really apply to me. You know, however you want to say that. Well, and there's a charge sometimes levied against Christians that if Jesus walked into our own churches, would we reject him? And I don't particularly like that question, but we are Jesus's hometown now. We are his people. Yeah. Are we listening to what he has to say? Will we, his own now, receive him, follow him, believe? Or will we reject him and say, I know you and I know what's best? Right. You know, and I don't want to draw too strong a parallels here between us because I don't think it's a perfect line. No, it is not uh, apples to apples. No. And it's interesting because we have the, the Holy Spirit, which it was not... The Holy Spirit was absolutely at work, Old Testament, New Testament, so on and so forth. But we live in Pentecost. Yes. And so we have a little bit more. We have a, a revealed Jesus, and we we know the whole story, too. Exactly. Which brings us to the other part of the text. So immediately after this, he goes on teaching, and he sends the disciples out, two by two. And it's really interesting, because uh, I think it's the—there's there, a lot of parallel, and it's mm-hmm. almost a dichotomy. Yeah. So you got unbelief. And he's trying to work. He's trying to deliver personally right there. But now he's going to send the disciples out and don't bring extra sandals, don't bring extra tunics, don't bring extra food, money. I will take care of you. Go forth. And he tells them, uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Yeah, so there are, there are some interesting parallels here. Um, one, he's sending out the disciples in his name. He's asking them to trust him. Yep. That's why they can't bring anything is because mm-hmm. he wants them to trust him. And he's sending them out to these other cities to see, will these cities accept this message and believe? Or will they, like Nazareth, reject it and shut their doors on him? And I almost wonder if Jesus shook off his sandals at, at Nazareth. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, before this. But the other interesting parallel is the the mighty works. Mm-hmm. So in Nazareth, they they accuse him. They say, whose authority are you doing these mighty works? And then it says Jesus was not able to do the mighty works there except for a few minor miracles. But then when he sends out the disciples, he tells them to do mighty works, to cast out demons, to heal people. And they go. And they do. Yes. And this is an interesting development because if you look at all of the miracles up to this point, we've got, you know, the the calming of the the sea that we talked about in the past, the raising of of Jairus's daughter, the healing of people, the casting out of demons, all these great miracles. They're not small miracles. Not small miracles at all. They're pretty big ones. Jesus is there. Mm-hmm. The power comes from him. No doubt about it. Right. He's sent by God the Father. And he's speaking on his own authority and God the Father's authority to do these things. But this is interesting because now he's going to send them out and he's not going to be there. He's just going to send them in his name. 
Yes. And the interesting thing is, it still works. Yeah. The mighty deeds still happen. Jesus's power, it turns out, is not locked into a location. It's not locked into, well, Jesus is standing in Nazareth. Miracles can only happen in Nazareth. It turns out, in fact, Jesus's power goes out wherever people are sent out in his name. And I think that's a really cool development. Well, and especially, you know, pitting these two events against each other, Jesus personally here, Mm -hmm. there, unable to do this because of unbelief and because of the reaction, because of what it would do to further them in their unbelief, and then sending out the disciples in his name. And I'm curious, again, Scripture doesn't say anything, but the disciples go out, are they asked, in whose name do you do this? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth? Yes, I've heard about, you know. Yeah. Because to repent, and again, even today, when your pastor says repent, he's not asking you to repent to him. Mm-mm. This isn't about him knowing. It's about repent, believe, and be forgiven. And, and the, the statement, again, it's what John the Baptist preached and immediately what Jesus preaches. And now the disciples are preaching that very sermon, that very statement, again, pointing back to the one who not only sent them, but the one who does the forgiveness, who does the mighty works through them. And this is framed in the context of salvation and judgment as it's viewed as connection to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because the towns which receive the disciples in Jesus' name and they stay in these houses, those towns, those people are now connected to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the towns which reject those who are sent in Jesus' name, the disciples shake off their the dust off their sandals. And, you know, to us, maybe this sounds a bit like the kind of saying, you know, I wash my hands yep. of you would be kind of similar as a modern statement. But for the the Jewish context, they would shake off their sandals so that they didn't bring any dust in from pagan towns and nations mm-hmm. when they came home. Right. And so to shake off this dust is to say, you are a pagan town. You are a town which is rejecting God and the one he sent, and you are under judgment. And it's a connection thing because it, it's a breaking of connection with, with Jesus. And so it's interesting because you look at Nazareth, this town which was connected to him, which you know probably helped raise him, mm-hmm. very communal aspect, was probably very involved in his life. Right. And now they've broken relationship with him. And so now the disciples go out with kind of this similar question for, for other people in other towns. Are you going to be connected to him? Yeah. Or are you not? And the way you're connected to him is going to be through his name and his word, which is brought to you by these disciples. Oh, what's amazing about that is that's exactly what still continues to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pastors are sent out, uh, family. We we are allowed to leave with our cloak, though. Yes. We do get to take our cloaks with us. Yes, extra pair of shoes. (laughs) Uh, But that message is still sent. And I love that about the church. And we should not only be very specific about this, but it's the idea who is being sent. It's not the pastor. Mm -hmm. That is Christ, Christ in you. And the pastor preaches Christ to you so that you take him out and you live in this promise, this belief, as it has been revealed to you so that you have the connection to Christ, Christ's love, Christ's redemption, and the promise of forevermore. 
Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.